Welcome to B2B Sales Trends, the podcast dedicated to sales leaders in the B2B space, where we share conversations about innovative and successful sales transformations to keep you up to date on the latest trends. This podcast is brought to you by Global Performance Group. Welcome to yet another fabulous episode of the B2B Sales Trends podcast, which is brought to you by Global Performance Group, a boutique sales effectiveness organization that implements behavior change for salespeople to engage their customers with competence and confidence to increase win rates and create conversations based on outcomes. My name is Harry Kendelbacher, and today I'm pleased to have with me Daniel Hayden. And Daniel is the global head of sales curriculum at Google. Welcome to the B2B Sales Trends Podcast, Daniel. Thank you, Harry. It's nice to be here. Uh, lovely to have you on. As a way of starting the uh, interview, this podcast, tell us a little bit about yourself, if you would. Of course, of course. So, yeah, my name is Daniel Hayden. I'm currently uh, the global head of sales skills curriculum at Google. Um, I'm based in Chicago in the U.S., and prior to Google, I worked at American Express for 10 years in you know, a variety of roles across the globe from sales to marketing to operations. And, and more recently, in the last five years, I've really started to hone in uh, on the sales enablement and sales performance space, which has kind of brought me to why I'm here today. Fabulous. Thank you for that introduction, Daniel. Now, you've had a lot of experience in the space. Can you share a little bit um, to start this off? Uh, uh, about the sort of the guiding principles of your approach to sales enablement? Sure. So the way I look at sales enablement, and it has been changing a lot, uh, particularly over the past five, five years or so, but the guiding principles today that I think many companies are still starting to figure out how this is going to work operationally within their organization is that you really need to move towards a content light, practice-heavy approach. So it's really important to focus in more on salespeople that are practicing and developing their skills rather than overwhelming them with content. Because essentially, practice is going to help you perfect the pitch. That's going to help you perfect the sales conversation. And that's what's going to win customers and ultimately drive that revenue growth. The acquisition of knowledge about skills isn't necessarily going to make you any more skilled. So in my view, that we've really got to shift towards a practice heavy approach because until you practice you're not going to fully identify as an individual what your skill gaps are and then i think through coaching that will enable you to plug those gaps and be even more successful and recognize those gaps even sooner than if you just sat there you know completed some training finished it and then tried to apply it so that practice piece is becoming more and more important particularly in a world like today where it's information rich I mean, if you think about Google and you think about our society in general, it's very easy now to get access to information. But that access to information doesn't necessarily make you any more skilled. So that's why I think practice is, is increasingly uh, becoming more popular in, in the sales enablement space. So fascinating. We always say it's, it's, it's not about the knowledge you absorb. It's really about the knowledge you apply. And there's a fundamental difference, right? I can read a thousand books or watch a thousand videos on a sales skill or negotiation skills or you know, or anything in that, that space. That doesn't mean I can necessarily do it, right? Exactly, exactly. 
Right. Um, have you seen, uh, uh, so after implementing uh, uh, these sort of guiding principles of, of your approach uh, within your organization, have, have you have you seen sales success through that? Have you seen improvement on those? What, what were sort of the success uh, uh, factors that you have seen through that approach? Yeah, so I think um, one of the first things I will, will raise on this is that, and everyone within sales enablement or sales training, will, will this will really resonate with them, is that there are multiple factors that play into the success of a sales team. You know, they can be within your control internally, they can be outside of your control, and they could be external, such as economic factors. So even though you're getting revenue growth or you're seeing revenue decline, it can be sometimes quite hard to pinpoint what is driving that change. So what we've we we started to look at, and I've seen this across you know many many industries as well, is really looking at how do you control the the group in which you're employing this practice heavy approach. And that's then how you measure success. So when you're looking, for example, at shifting in your organization from maybe you know a, a mountain of, of e-learnings to uh, an approach where maybe you'll inject them with a little bit of knowledge and then you get them to run with it in practice, you need to do that in a controlled environment so you can compare the difference between those teams that didn't practice. So my, my first piece of advice to any company thinking about shifting is you don't have to make this change for all of your salespeople at once. Take a group uh, or, or one of the sales teams, split them in half and get half of them to go through a more practice heavy approach or the new way and let the other half continue as they're doing um, using the existing uh, more knowledge acquisition way and compare the difference in, in, in the outcomes because they're still going to be exposed to the same other factors, internal and external. But that's going to give you the first indication as to whether this practice heavy approach works. Uh, and I can tell you now, not only will it work in terms of driving revenue because they're going to identify their skill gaps quicker and they're going to be applying any knowledge quicker, but actually what it's going to do is make your employees and salespeople even happier because they're not going to be spending hours trying to remember content. They're actually going to be going straight back to their job or straight back to a practice environment to try and apply the, the smaller amount of information that they've acquired. So what it does is it makes your learning teams become more succinct in the way that they put forward the most valuable pieces of content but it makes your salespeople more engaged in the learning because they're actually using it and can imagine the benefits and the value of using it because they're actually practicing as part of that learning experience versus just sitting in a classroom and, and, and absorbing as much content as, as you said earlier. So I think the way to measure success here is to fully focus on how you split the teams into control groups and compare and contrast. And it's only until you do that will you really start to realize the value and that's when you can start, start to scale it. But yeah, you'll get revenue improvements, you'll get employee satisfaction improvements. I also think you'll get productivity improvements because um, people aren't gonna be spending as many hours in classrooms to train. They're actually gonna be more, more likely to be able to practice with their peers, which is gonna drive more learning there and even experiment um, you know, in, in other ways beyond what they're learning in the classroom. So I think uh, there's, there's more benefits than just revenue growth uh, to, to this type of approach. So interesting. I love the control uh, group environment that you've just uh, described. That, that totally makes sense. Um, now, this is, a, this is a very cool new approach, uh, the idea of content light practice heavy. Now, we live in a very fast-paced world these days, right? Have you seen any, any challenges with more tenured salespeople that sort of 
used to the way uh, they sold for a number of years. Have you had challenges with that sort of audience to shift their perspective to go down with you that 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 new avenue? That's an interesting question, and it's something I've seen um, throughout my career. Um, I would I would say you, you're going to have challenge challenges with with change, regardless of somebody's tenure. It's just that the challenges are going to be different. So with with the the, the more tenured salespeople that you referenced there, the cha- the challenge there might be that they've got used to a certain way of working that they believe works, and therefore they don't really want to shift or are, are, are struggling to shift their behavior because of the unknown. But then with, with newer um, kind of entry-level sellers or less experienced sellers, you kind of got the bit of a flip where they might not know what the right approach is. So they might be more open to your new way. The difficulty you'll have with more junior or, 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 or sellers with less tenure is mm. they don't necessarily have the experience to play off. So then when you give them a new way of working, sometimes they struggle with the fact that they don't necessarily have as many real examples to apply what you've, what you've suggested to know that it could actually work. They might be more open to it. They just don't know exactly how it will work in practice. So I think you're going to, you're going to face challenges with any, any salesperson, but just going back to your your initial part of the question, I think the key with tenured sellers is to recognize the value that they bring to your organization. They've got a lot of experience with your clients. They know what's worked in the past. They know what hasn't worked in the past. And maybe there's some parts of your new way that they've actually tried in the past that they might want to challenge because it hasn't worked. And then you've got to work through with them. Well, what makes it different today? Is it the the environment and the society that we're operating in today, which means that it's more likely to now be successful, even though it wasn't 10 or 15 years ago? So I think it's important to recognize mm-hmm. the value that they bring and also to show them how experimenting is a great way to test whether or not this new way will actually work. So rather than saying to them, here's a new way I want you to adopt, say to them, mm-hmm. Okay, on this occasion, we're going to try this new way. And if it works, maybe this is something you want to want to adopt permanently. So that's the way I would nudge them along is rather than making it look like a complete radical change, it's just to nudge them in the direction of experimenting to try new things to see what complements their style. And if it does actually have impact on generating more revenue. That's a nice way of uh, sort of, uh, we always talk about getting them out of their comfort zone. You know, when you have very experienced people, they know what they're doing. They've been doing it for years. They're sort of, you know, I don't want to say set in the ways. That's the wrong wording, but you, you know what I mean. They've done it for 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 a while, and they, it just they do it because they know it works. And yeah. this is what I want to do, and this is this is what is familiar and safe to me. So I'm going to continue doing. But what got you to this stage doesn't necessarily will get you to the next level. So it's always a case of how do we get people out of their comfort zone and to experience and to uh, to uh, to try new things and that that change uh, that you have uh, referred to that that comfort zone piece is always really critical to to get people out of and get people to think in a different way very interesting very yeah and i always say harry to to sales people i've worked with um change now while you have the choice because <laughs> at that. some point yeah. you're not you're not going to have the choice because your competitors are going to change. They're going right. to adapt more to customers, and then you're going to be late to the game. So while you're ahead of the game, or while you're doing well, change and experiment now, 
so you know what's going to work with clients and get ahead of the curve because at some point I mean, change is inevitable so you have to do it at some point and if you're not going to do it now when you're a little bit more comfortable and you have the choice you're going to find it even harder further down the road right love that point it's great daniel i will also know that you know in recent past some of your sales enablement programs have been framed around um, sort of you know focused informal learning I know we've covered some bits and bobs uh, uh, until now in this conversation, but can you talk a little bit about what that means? Sure. So um, focused informal learning is becoming um, somewhat of a buzzword in the learning and development industry, and it's becoming increasingly popular as it does have it does actually have more impact on changing behavior especially when you think about it as as what I like to call micro learn micro injections of learning that will steer a salesperson on the right track to success so then over time that continued injection of micro learning really helps them change the behavior and it will create a more stronger and successful salesperson because you're nudging them along the way as you start to see the error of their waves or opportunities that they've missed a, a bit of extra um, learning or a micro learning injection gives them that nudge to, to keep them on the right track. So when I think about informal learning, I definitely see it having a place. I think it's incredibly effective at change behavior and keeping the salesperson on the right track. The only danger that I'm currently seeing with informal learning is there's a tendency to over index on it because it's quite easy to create. You know, I can create some, mm. uh, you know, a small five minute video clip a lot easier than I can a two-hour e-learning uh, right. module. Um, and I'm not saying you know that either of those are particularly effective because what's important is, as we've been saying, Harry, the important thing is, is, is that salesperson then practicing to identify what gap they now have as a result mm. of that learning and then how do they plug that gap through coaching or further micro-learning? So I think in, informal learning in summary has a place. Um, what you've got to really make sure is that it's part of a broader sales enablement strategy because if you're just churning out different video clips and different activities that are all part of what you would deem micro learning that doesn't necessarily mean one it's going to be successful two you can even measure the success because micro learning is harder to correlate to drive to to, to improve sales revenue but then mm. three are your salespeople going to be more engaged if you're overwhelming them with different informal learning you might as well just give them one module to do online so i think we've, we've still got a lot to learn on informal learning but I can't see it going away. And I think my advice today would be for sales enablement professionals to think about how does this piece of informal learning actually fit really well into our sales enablement strategy and what value is that going to add if, if a sales team were to go through that? Mm. Now, would you say that uh, the traditional sales training, you know, and it's, it's not that long ago, only... Uh, pre-COVID, I guess, where most of the sales training was deployed in a face-to-face -face environment. Uh, you go to your typical two, three-day, whatever it was, uh, workshop. You hung out with your colleagues. You consumed the content there. You had a great time and uh, go back to your role uh, after that. Do you think that's dead? No, it's definitely not dead. And I love this question. And I've had this question quite a bit during COVID. In-person live trading is definitely not dead mm. and there's a tendency for organizations to say it is because it suits them mm. you know digital learning is scalable it's cheaper 
um, it's easier to connect more colleagues around the world to the same training session. You don't have the travel and expense, uh, the travel expenses that you would have within person. So it's it's convenient for a lot of sales for, for a lot of sales organisations to say digital learning is the future. We are going to move away from live in person. But live in person has a place in all training, but even more so in sales enablement training, because in sales you've got a workforce of people that are representing your company. So they need to be inspired, they need to be motivated, they need to be excited when they're, they're going through learning experiences, when they realize, oh, this is a really great new product I've got to sell, or this is a really great skill that I can't wait to go and pitch in front of my clients. Like, so just because we've had COVID, and I get this, that has probably accelerated the need for, for more flexible global ways of working, which tend to be more digital, that doesn't mean in-person lives going to go away. There is definitely a place for it even more so in the sales world. I think what is important to look at now is what is the hybrid world? What does it look like? So how do I have a mix of digital learning methods with live in person? That could be that you do in advance of your live in person, you might get together with a group of colleagues across the world you know, on a, on a, on a video call, have a discussion about something or work through a scenario, then you each go to your live experiences with your local teams. And then afterwards you go back to continue with more informal or digital learning. So I think the key here is to not look at either or, it's to look at how does all of the learning offline, online, um, digital, in-person, however you want to brand it, how does it all complement and fit together? And how do you create synergies by bringing different modalities together to create right. a very inspirational, exciting learning experience. The right. one danger I will say with, with, with purely a digital learning approach is how are you going to avoid digital learning fatigue? Many of us during COVID over the past 18 months have enjoyed the flexibility of working from home, but we, we, we all have to admit there's only so many video calls in a day you want to do, right? So it's the same with learning. How many e-learning modules do you really want to do in a week? Um, over time, there, you do develop that fatigue and it doesn't become as interesting. So, again, you don't want to overuse in person, but there is definitely a place for it. And I think in sales, that's a great opportunity to have charismatic speakers that inspire and rally the sales force to really want to perform better and generate more revenue and, and, and create a great experience for their customers right. and prospects. So it's not right. going away, but I think a hybrid model and a hybrid solution has to be really well thought through to create a powerful um, learning program for, for salespeople. Right. And in, in connection to your uh, statement earlier, content light practice heavy, and by the way, I'm going to nick that now from you. I'm going to use that myself. I love that piece. <laughs> content light and practice heavy. Uh, you know, what, what, what we've done in the past was to provide the e-learning as the content part prior to it and then have the in-person sessions no new content, but really focused on how do you use this now? How do you apply it now to your real uh, customer situations and have them practice these skills and, uh, and, and these real deals uh, there in person, which I believe is a fantastic fit uh, in terms of uh, helping people to do things fundamentally different. Um, I was reading another article uh, uh, that uh, I think a team of yours published about uh, sales enablement. And uh, one thing that resonated with me was the idea of elevating yourself from 
being a trainer, a facilitator to performance consultants, I think the wording was uh, used. What does that mean to you and how have you employed that concept with your teams? So this is something that does actually feel very new in the sales enablement space and is actually more prominent in sales enablement than it is in other learning teams, whether that be HR learning or, or customer service learning or compliance learning. Um, but this, this, this concept of having being a performance consultant in sales is incredibly important. What that essentially means is training isn't going to drive business value unless it's focused on driving performance improvements. So essentially what should happen, and I discussed this with Jim Kirkpatrick, who you know, was part of the, the founding of the, of the Kirkpatrick evaluation model. And we talk about this a lot. And, and essentially learning professionals should see themselves as performance consultants, as it's their job to enable the sales teams to perform better through the skill development programs that they're offering. You know, they need to know the metrics that salespeople are targeted on, how that learning can then be measured, and then ultimately how business success can be evaluated. Because if they don't know that, then it's going to be very hard for them to ensure that their training programs or learning programs are creating value for the organization. So in a way, learning must be held to account through the business impact. So if you think about the Kirkpatrick evaluation model, you need to move towards a level three and a level four to prove the worth to the business of your learning organization and demonstrate that ongoing value. And if you can't prove out your value, then you're not proving your worth. So why do you exist? So you've really got to try and get the, the, the learning professionals to think about not how do I create great content, but how do I drive performance? And as we've been saying, Harry, for the entire podcast, that doesn't necessarily mean content. So I think this performance consultant idea, maybe you call them learning performance consultants, I don't really know, but we have to bring performance language and performance metrics into the role of a learning professional or a sales enablement professional. Otherwise, it's going to be very hard to drive any revenue growth uh, in an organization. Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, we, we, we simply call our former trainers coaches now, but the interesting thing is that we had to make a big shift in also how they deploy the work. It's not about turning up anymore and, and providing the content. It's really about coaching people to execute the content well. And what we found is, especially by certifying uh, uh, these coaches and, and making sure that they're delivering in the way we want to deliver, it, it requires a different skill set. Uh, a good facilitator is not necessarily a good coach. A good trainer is not necessarily a good performance consultant. So that there's, it really takes a different type of, of delivery, which, which we found was, uh, was interesting when we made that shift. Interesting. Very true. Yeah. Um, what type of innovative initiatives do you think sales enablement, and there are quite a few listening to this, should be looking to employ in the coming year? And I'm going to ask a second question, which is not very good salesmanship, but how, how do you think those initiatives will impact on how sales leaders and their teams approach their uh, efforts towards clients? Yeah, so as you can imagine, working in the technology industry, innovation is in everything that we do. Um, and there's, there's lots of learning buzzwords and concepts at the moment. You know, think gamification, informal learning, social learning. But my, my one point on this topic is don't just employ them for the sake of it. 
Um, mm. You know, think about which learning modality is the right one or two, you know, for what you're trying to achieve. Uh, look at the skills you're trying to develop. Uh, I'll give you an example. You know, if it's mm. storytelling, maybe having a charismatic, you know, ex-sales director doing a live workshop will have a much greater impact um, for the organization. But if you're doing an objection handling skill development program, then maybe a practice session with some of their own peers who understand their role, understand their job, will will help the salespeople perfect their responses to those objection handling, uh, mm -hmm. to those objections that they receive. So the, the key here is think about the learning modality or the learning innovation that you're trying to use, but ultimately look at what that's going to do for the organization and when a particular initiative is going to have more impact than another. Uh, and you mentioned this before around coaches, sales leaders um, actually coaching their teams is essential for ongoing improvements. It's, it helps hold salespeople to account for what they're learning and it ensures they develop at the right pace in the right way. So investment in leadership coaching is a game changer for a sales organization. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, whatever learning programs you put out there, they're always gonna be one off if you don't follow them up with other interventions or coaching after it, which means that over time, it's gonna be forgotten. If you think about the Ebbinghaus you know, forgetting curve, you know, a lot of the knowledge you learn on a training course within the first week, the majority you've forgotten already. So there has to be a follow-up. Um, and and e-learning and informal learning has a place, but don't over-index them then on them as an easy solution. It won't necessarily have impact unless it's part of that broader learning performance strategy. So innovative initiatives sound great on the surface, but really mm -hmm. make sure that they're, they're a part of that overarching learning performance strategy. Otherwise, they, they will have little impact. Mm. Uh uh, so true. The coaching is absolutely essential. What, what we keep hearing from our clients is, oh, you know, how do we get our managers and our line managers to coach their people? We've, we've done sales, uh, leadership programs before, but they, they don't use that. Is that something that you've experienced? Can you share a, 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 a hack or a tip on, on, on how to deal with that? Yeah, I think you can provide um, a lot of great leadership coaching programs. Um, but as you said there, the key is to get them actually using it and actually coaching. Mm. Um, I, I have seen it in organizations I've worked for um, where leaders just say, sales leaders just say they can't find the time mm. to coach. Um, so one of the things you've got to look at is what is actually causing them to spend the most what things are, are they spending the most time on and how are they going to free up some of their time in, in order to be able to coach because you've got to be showing the salespeople. you understand there's a lot of admin you understand there's a lot of work to do outside of coaching their team so how can we reduce that workload to give you more of that time to coach so i would say first of all it's about sitting down with them and understanding where is the allocation of their time where are they spending you know less value-added time um, that you can reduce, you know, there's a lot of administrative tasks that you might be able to give to um, salespeople that maybe are aspiring to be a leader and it's going to start to give them experience to, to how they can get to being a sales leader. Um, so you, you want to work with each individual sales leader to understand what is preventing them from coaching. And then you also want to make sure that they've got the tools and resources to effectively coach. Have they got somewhere that they can record and track the progress that's being made in coaching? Because not only does the salesperson want to see their progress, the, sell, the sales leader themselves needs to see that whatever they're coaching on is making change and ensuring progress towards better revenue. So that, that tracking piece is key. So I think, first of all, I would look at freeing up their time where you can by reducing 
you know, tasks that are not adding value to the organization as much. And then the second would be make sure there's a tracking system in place where everybody can see the progress being made through coaching. And ultimately that will have a domino effect in encouraging leaders to coach even more. Because if you're seeing, you know, if you're a sales leader and you're seeing another sales leader coaching a lot on their revenues higher than yours, that's going to inspire you to want to, to, to try even harder to get your team to a greater level. So I think that's the way I'd be looking at it. Um, because I've, I've heard the excuse from many sales leaders before. Mm. I just don't have the time. And there is time. You've just got to make sure you put it right. to the, the tasks that are going to add the most value. And coaching is the most valuable thing you can do as a sales leader. Right. Another, uh, another uh, reason that we, we hear a lot is that, yes, they are being deployed coaching skills, but they don't necessarily know what to coach to. So they don't go through let's say a sales, skills, a sales skills initiative with their people together, they do it separately. These guys get coaching skills, these guys get sales skills, and they don't really managers know what to coach to then. That's also one of the issues that, that we've, we've heard quite a lot, which is an issue. Yeah, well, one thing I'll just highlight on that as well right. is um, we've, we've rolled out, and I have with, with many of my sales training teams in the past, you know, great programs on coaching or even on particular skills. The, the issue that you have is sometimes they don't know how to apply those more general skills to particular situations or issues that they're facing, as you referenced there. So one of the great ways to follow up that skill-based program is once they've learned the foundations of what that skill is and how to apply it, then you start bringing in scenarios that they face you know, on a regular basis and show them how to apply that foundational level knowledge to those scenarios. And that, that then will take that skill development and coaching to the more intermediate level, because as you start applying it to things they face on the job, they're gonna to start to realize the value, but it's also gonna make the training even more worthwhile because they're gonna to start to form more of a connection to the business. So I think a, a great way to, to follow on from any training program or sales enablement program that you launch is to have some kind of follow-up where you show how that applies to particular scenarios. And that's what I've been doing with many of my sales enablement teams over the past few years is making sure there's a real connection to making that learning evidently valuable to a sales leader or even a salesperson. No wonder you've been so successful in what you do. Daniel, thank you so much for being such a wonderful uh, guest. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing your very valuable points of view in relation to uh, the topic. Thank you so much to all of our listeners. My name is Harry Kendelbacher. Visit us at globalperformancegroup.com. Join us for our next episode on the B2B Sales Trends podcast. Look after yourself. Happy selling, everybody. Thank you, Daniel.